listening to Spitball with Andrew Ballhawk Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of Spitball. <laughs> I'm your host, Adri Ballhawk Mallows, and joining me this week is the ever-present, the ever-awesome, the one, the only... Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you, buddy? Hello, I'm okay. <laughs> good, good. How have you been this week, buddy? Uh, cold and wet. That doesn't sound too good. The weather no, pretty bad down there in Plymouth, is it? Weather is very bad down here, but um, luckily we've got some football to keep ourselves uh, inside and nice and warm and wrapped up while we watch it. Indeed. Well, with that said, let us move on with the show. Who are you? I don't even know your name. What's your name? Jimmy. Turn around. Let me see your name. Jimmy. Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn, turn around. I don't know you, bro. You're having one of those days. Hey, baby. You're having one of those days. I say that to say this. If you wouldn't have did what you would have did, then we wouldn't have been where we was at to get what we got. That just don't make no sense, dog. Marcus, put your shoe on. Put it on. Jeez. I can't finish with these clothes. <laughs> I think I trim my tooth. Wish I had some gold so you can buy me some teeth. This week, I'm going to let us wrap up all of the games in this first part of the show because I want to cover some other things as well this week. So where should we begin our divisional playoff roundup, young Marcus? Why don't we do them in uh, chronological order this week? Okay, so starting with... Baltimore versus New England from uh, early on Saturday night. Mm-hmm, yes. Baltimore, oh, New England, sh- up in Foxborough. Quite a cold night, as you would expect, about 10 degrees, something like that, but it certainly heated up on the pitch. I tell you what, I don't know what what there was in the, uh, the Gatorade, but Jesus, both teams were really at each other's throats. Yeah, definitely. I have to say, in this game, it was really nice to see Brady getting so so worked up and so fired up and and so frustrated when he when he made mistakes and things. I thought it was just really really uh, good to watch. And apart from Dallas Green Bay, this was always my second favorite tie of the round, to be honest, because it was always going to be a a battle with the two great coaches that we have in John Harbour and uh, Bill Belichick, then you know when their two teams meet, it's going to be a battle of wit and a battle of skill. And obviously with the the better team coming out at the end of it. So game started off a bit of unusual fashion with Baltimore getting a two touchdown lead. Baltimore, you can tell Baltimore's plan of attack was to pretty much come out and sort of give, um, give England a good sort of slap around the face and hopefully try and knock them out of their funk, as it were. Yeah, definitely. And they managed to do that quite well, as I say, with the two early touchdowns. And I believe the second one came off, uh, I'm trying to record if it came off a three and out or if it actually came off a Brady pick. Uh, that might have been the Brady pick one, wasn't it? Um, when Darrell Smith was, got the interception. Uh, like you said, Brady really did really work himself up into a state about it, but... Uh, as we saw, you know, we know he can come back into it. So, yeah, first quarter at like fourteen uh, seven, it was it was a little bit like mm, this could get interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, it's strange that all the way throughout the game until it got to twenty eight all. Obviously, there was fourteen point swings uh, for both teams. It was Baltimore went up fourteen points, New England brought it back. Baltimore went up fourteen points again. New England brought it back, 
And it was crazy. And Gronkowski. No one can <laughs> stop that man, right? <laughs> Gronk score now. Gronk get first down. Gronk catch ball. <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was just running over people left, right and centre. It was crazy. I mean, how the different dynamics of the game really sort of shifted. It showed the different coaching mentalities. I mean, Brady attempted 50 passes. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, and we know he is a, he is a great passing quarterback, but they tend to be quite rounded in the game plan. And it just seemed really weird that they kind of all put it on Brady's shoulders. Well, yes and no, I suppose, because when you go 14 points down that quickly, you kind of have no choice but to try and get back into it with the same sort of speed, don't you, really? I mean, yes, there's always that idea that, you know, you do run less when you're chasing the game. But for me, it was kind of weird how the running backs themselves accounted for seven carries in the entire game. Wowzers, that's crazy. And then the rushing touchdown went to Tom Brady himself. He had the rushing touchdown. Yeah, that's true. He did try to pretty much... Well, he put it on his shoulders, didn't he? He did what a true leader does, put the game on, on his back. And one thing they were saying as well is that in the second half, Belichick always has a different game plan to the first half. Um, and again, that that really showed. It's all about this these halftime adjustments, knowing what you can do, so you can be like, okay, well, if that doesn't work in the first half, it doesn't matter because we're going to be doing this in the second half anyway. Yeah, and it, you could tell that being behind at halftime, there was definitely going to be some incentive to try and play themselves back into the game. They started as well with the ball in the third quarter and couldn't get the drive going and let Baltimore get that fourteen point edge back. At 28-14, there was the possibility of that momentum, but then once they shut themselves down on the next drive, got themselves back into the game, and of course, you know, beautiful way to turn around the game with, with the turnover and then the little bit of trickery from Julian Edelman. See, they're the sort of adjustments, you know, you know going into the bag of tricks, as it were. So you're referring, of course, to the trick pass, so the uh, the lateral to Julian Edelman, who then threw it to a wide-open uh, Danny Amendola down the sideline, and a great way to start your... NFL passing career <laughs> with a 51-yard touchdown in the playoffs. Hey, well, that's what happens, you know. Julian Edelman was a college quarterback. Kent State, I believe, the uh, the commentator said his Aldamada was. That's it. Well. Came to New England, got converted to a wide receiver, but still has the arm to be able to throw decent touchdown passes. Now, what I'm going to do is I am going to put the highlights of all of these games in the show notes this week for you so you can see exactly what we are banging on about this week and you can see sweet things like that trick play there one last thing i want to talk about actually before we move on to the next game and and obviously confirm the score is that joe flacco he did throw four touchdowns in this game against new england but then threw two interceptions so he went five games and 17 touchdowns without throwing an interception and then boom two came along at once and it did kind of sort of set up the um the gateway for new england to sort of exploit and get back into the game not i'm not saying that the loss is on his head that it's his fault they lost we were saying how you do tend to pass if you're chasing the game well when you got justin Forsett, who was absolutely bossing it i don't know why they didn't just hmm just put a bit more ball protection and guys we've got like a, a 14.7 point lead here let's just try and let's try and play this out to our our game plan yeah and that's to- it because it's not as if Forsett wasn't successful either because on the night as well he was having a really good game wasn't he and he was getting uh, quite a big chunk of yardage whenever they asked him to run the ball but 
Unfortunately, as we know, New England came out victorious with a 35-31 victory. So what I'm going to do now is leave that there again. Go and uh, check out the highlights, see what you think of that game if you haven't done so already from the show notes. And we move on to the next game, which was Carolina versus Seattle or Cam Newton versus the Legion of <laughs> yeah, and that, you know what? That's kind of how it felt watching the game. It really did. Yeah, well, uh, just explain what you mean by that, buddy. For me, the game seemed to be won or lost. You know how we say sometimes it's won or lost in the trenches. This one seemed to be very much on sort of on Cam, and we know he has the inability to stay consistent with his performances. And so the fact is, when you're playing a good defense like this, the defenses are. are both very good defense on both teams and that was present by the fact that it was such a tight close game at half time and really it wasn't till that sort of fourth quarter where you could see the Carolina defense getting tired and the fact that the Carolina offense couldn't actually get past the the legion of boom as it were and Cam was getting bogged down and they was just not making any offensive gains that your defense does get tired it's a lot of time on the field you know well, you know, the free and outs and the, the change of possessions and stuff, there needed to be a, just a little bit more, uh, I'm not sure what it was, you know, there was a few miss, missed opportunities, missed passes, you know, that, that inconsistency, I said. And that's where I feel this game was lost, was just that, you know, the, the opportunities slipped through their fingers. And I want to pick up on something they mentioned on the NFL Network, again, in the highlights, which you'll um, hear and, and see at the uh, from the show notes. But they were saying, obviously, on Cam Newton's, uh, I think his first interception to Richard Sherman, he throws the ball 50 yards downfield and then it gets picked off on third and long. And they're like, oh, well, don't don't worry, folks. It's, it's the same as a punt. So, well, yes and no. Yardage-wise, yes, it's the same as a as a punt, but it's an interception, which is a momentum shifter in Seattle's favour. And not to mention, if you do then have to punt on, on fourth down, you've got the chance if you've got the option to run a trick play, if you kick a good enough punt and your coverage team gets there, you've got the opportunity to force a fumble um, on the punt returner. There's so many th- things that can happen on a uh, on a punt that to then just to write it off and say, well, actually, it doesn't matter him throwing it 50 yards and getting picked off because it's the same as a punt anyway. So, well, no, it's not really because, yeah, he's given up not much yardage, but at the same time, there's all the other things, like I say, that go with that. I mean, what do you think about that? I agree with you. I hate the fact they just they could just sit there and say, oh, don't matter, it's just like a punt. Yeah? It, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it doesn't work, that sort of respect. Like you said, there's so many factors that go into a punt. And the fact is that you could have so many variables. Not to mention the roughing the kicker or anything like that that could have come in from a punt as well. Exactly. And the way that, to me, what, the way that special teams was attacking, we saw Cam Chancellor later on in a couple of field goals just jumping over the offensive line. And uh, at one point, he does actually incur the foul, doesn't he? He does. I thought it was beautiful the way he does just jump straight over the line of scrimmage. I think that's just, it's just absolutely amazing to see it, to time it, like Troy Polamalu style, to time the jump over the line of scrimmage. And and this is the thing, you're jumping (laughs) over, let's not play this down, right? Yeah, he's taking a running jump, but... He's jumping over guys that are generally between six foot and six foot five, and yeah, they're in a they're in a three point stance, but you know that's still a good sort of three foot off the floor that he's having to jump across. 
before he gets a chance to uh, stop the or block the kick. But yeah, I loved it. And like you say, he got the penalty on one of them. So he jumped over and I think there was a there was some form of penalty on the first one. He jumped over and then he caused the penalty on the second one when they ended up missing the kick, didn't they? Um, even though he didn't actually block it. And then like, on the third one, he was just like, actually, yeah. I'm not going to bother. Again, you'll see this from the highlights, but he's just like, so he gets a yeah. like, you know what? I've done it twice. I can't be doing that again. <laughs> it was almost like, nah, that's it. Two, that's, that's the work. I'm not, not, not doing a third one. <laughs> Cause it was a hell of a, hell of a hurdle. Like yeah. you say, these, these aren't small guys that he's just jumping over, like clearing cr- uh, completely over the top of them. Yeah. Just fantastic. And to be honest, he had a great game anyway, didn't he? And again, it's that Legion of Boom coming up big. Um, when the, the games are, are that important. So later in the, the game, obviously he had that pick in the fourth quarter, which he took all the way back to the house. The sealed house. the game, yeah. sealed the game, sealed the game from that point. Now, I mean, 24 10, you know, you're driving down and the one place you cannot have an interception. Red zone. It's in the red zone. And then, like you say, to rub salt into the wound. I mean, 24 10, you score from that. Because there was a good sort of like five, six minutes left in the game when this happened. So you score from that. It's now 24-17. It's a seven-point game with like enough time for you to stop the Seattle drive and then have another drive of your own. So the fact that it was returned pick six from your opponent's red zone all the way back to yours, that was just, for me, that was that was it. That was the nail. Nail in the coffin, I'm afraid. Absolutely. And before we move on, I just want to talk about the fact that there was also another beast mode run in there as well. Marshall Lynch at his finest. Yeah, I mean, he's really revved it up, hasn't he? And I think the idea is that, that Marshall Lynch and this whole, whole beast mode and sort of like what he can do You've got to remember that when you've got such a balanced offense, because you actually look at what they did offensively, and Seattle just really just didn't really have that sort of explosive power game that you'd expect from them. When the opportunity came up, their person was stepping up into the role. You know, they were they were making the difficult grab. I think it was um, their tight end, nice little catch over the top. Oh, Luke Uh, Wilson, yeah, exactly. Difficult catching in traffic, gets it in anyway for the touchdown. Like you say, Marshall Lynch, when they need him to break all those tackles and go beast mode, he steps it up, up a gear. Games aren't sort of one loss by the whole momentum sort of swinging, like I said, because you can have the likes of Cam Chancellor just completely kill off your, your drive just like that. But the fact is that can, you know, step up when you have that moment. You know, Cam Chancellor sits there, intercepts the pass. And then, you know, what do you do now? Do you, do you try and take it back to the house or do you just take the knee and sort of, cause you never know anything could have happened, you know? Maybe he went in, he drove in, completed the field. You know, it's just, it's that idea. They stepped up. I just feel Carolina almost the same way as the defense looked like it. It's a couple of drives too much, you know, that mile too far. It was just out of breath, the puff in the pattern, hands on hips. They just weren't quite fit enough to win. Yeah, totally. And, and Seattle won that game 31-17. And again, you can watch the highlights from the show notes. We move on now to the Sunday games and my tie of the round, which was Dallas at Green Bay, um, albeit against a slightly crippled Aaron Rodgers with that bad calf with him skipping all over the field because of it. But despite that, still definitely lived up to its billing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it did. That was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, this was the, the game. I mean, we all wanted to see this game because it was put on that sort of the early Sunday game, sort of the prime time, especially us here in the UK. 
because of the, the time differential, meant that everyone was going to be able to watch this one. It had the fullest amount of coverage you could want, and I just, it just did not disappoint. Absolutely not. From start to finish, did not disappoint. Yeah, exactly. And at one point, you were wondering if Green Bay were going to get back into it, because despite the fact they got the the first touchdown and went up 7-0 after Dallas equalised, um, after that, they actually ended up leading for most of the game, didn't they, Dallas? So it was quite a turnaround in the end from the Packers, and in particular, Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams, in, I think, deserve special mentions, both getting over 100 receiving yards, and in particularly Adams on a third and long, I think it was about third and 16, catching a, a ball for the first down and then turning it into um, the big touchdown. They Game planned quite well, actually, Dallas, because they took the likes of like Jordy Nelson just completely out of the game in that regards. The game plan, obviously, is to try and shut down an offensive weapon such as, you know, Jordy Nelson would be. But Green Bay, there's just too much there, I think, for, for Dallas to just like compete with. I mean, you saw how Eddie Lacey had over 100 yards. You had Adams, Cobb, over 100 yards. Rogers, over 300 yards with half a leg missing <laughs> and so so it was just you know that leg might be broken but that arm works fine <laughs> yeah what played out for me the sort of the tell was how the game swung around the fumbles yeah absolutely i was, I was actually just gonna mention that because i think the big part of that second half was when demarco murray looked like he was just about to run into open space and probably score what would have been about a 60 odd yard touchdown but julius peppers managed to jump round his <laughs> lineman and then swat the ball out of Murray's hands, leading to that that all-important fumble, as you say. And it, it was as good as turning the ball over in the red zone, really, because of the open space that Murray had in front of him. It was effectively like a 14-point swing. That, like Again, that's the uh, what where we're saying. is like when you have that opportunity, when it opens up in front of you, you know, do you sprint through it? Or, or does the occasion get too grand and, and you, you take your, your mind off the, the ball? <laughs> Green Bay do not need any more opportunities to try and attack you like that. No, that's very true. But i tell you one person who I think also stepped up, but to the letter of the law, you know, there's going to be lots of arguments about this and, and we can't really argue it from a, a rule standpoint, but Des Bryant, fourth and long, comes up with an unbelievable catch um, over the top of the defensive back, takes three strides, goes to the ground, and in the act of going to the ground, tries to stretch the ball over the goal line, which, firstly, I don't know how taking three strides isn't a football move. Secondly, I don't know how trying to reach the ball over the goal line isn't a football move. <laughs> but obviously, they classed it as an incomplete catch after review, which... Technically, to the letter of the law, it was because in the act of going to the ground, he does lose the ball slightly before regaining possession. But there's losing the ball and there's trying to reach the ball over the goal line. So in my eyes, he had firm possession of it and had possession of it going to the ground, but then just tried to extend the play and take it over the plane of the goal line. It's almost like, you know, when you see the ones where a running back will take the ball and then he'll go down. He's trying to outstretch and they'll, they'll, they'll claim that the ground has caused the fumble. Because in, in, in my, many regards, I feel that the ground has caused this almost like a, a little fumble. But yeah, the ground can't cause a fumble, can it? That's the thing. It will, or clearly it will get talked about a lot and has been talked about a lot. But I think at the end of the day, that you know, sometimes this is going to happen. I think the better one I, I felt was Jason Witten's post-game um, interview 
where he said, you know what, sometimes you lose sourly and it doesn't always come your way. But then you have to sit there and he said, but I've never been more proud of the team, the way we fought this season, the way we played this season and our, our commitment to this, this, this road of excellence or something like that, that they're on. Or, and I just like, I like that. That's sort of like, yeah, we lost. But you know what? We went out swinging. Doesn't always work out. But yeah, that's so to be fair. Yeah, this it's sport. Sport is always going to have controversy. It's always going to have those calls. Um, we can't ever, I don't think you can ever get fully rid of them. Even like you said, with a hundred cameras focusing on them and, and stuff. So, uh, so hey ho, but I mean, I made for a hell of an entertaining finish. It did. And I think the best description of it i've heard is that it was a bad rule enforced perfectly <laughs> and to me that that sums it up just purely just to, to finish off on this before i get too carried away so the things for me that i i don't like about it is the whole fact that they say that you have to maintain the catch all the way to the ground etc but yet at the same time as we've just mentioned the ground can't cause a fumble which in theory it clearly does in this case and also, in the act of catching the pass, the ball is allowed to hit the ground as long as it doesn't help you gain possession of the ball. So all of those rules for me are messed up. It literally needs to be black and white. It's ball touches the ground, not a catch. If you make a catch and you take a few steps, clearly it's a catch. It's kind of, they need to be a lot more clearer with those particular rules just so that you can't open it up to interpretation. Exactly, but like but you say, hey, I mean, it's part of the game sport, at the moment. Yeah, and that's all we're going to say about it, I guess. Isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 it's difficult. It's, it's very difficult because we could always we could uh, we could shoot the breeze about this all night. I fear, I fear, uh, 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 listeners sitting there going, no, no, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. no, 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 hell no, 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 I refuse, no. No, um, don't, don't worry. We won't. We won't talk about it all night. Just a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's all sport has these these moments, and um, I'm afraid Dallas fans, you know, you've been caught up in one as well. Absolutely. Well, again, have a look at it in the the highlights, which we'll put in the show notes. And if you want to give us your opinion about it, remember. Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail Okay, so the final score in that game, Green Bay 26, Dallas 21. And now we move on to our final game, which was, of course, Indianapolis versus Denver. And it was billed as the protege versus the master, or Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. (laughs) Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I love I love it when you get these links, especially in playoffs. Playoffs, you know, they get so much bigger. They meet each other regular season, and it's made a big deal. Meet in the playoffs, humongous deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what did you make of the game? Because to be honest, I was actually quite disappointed. And within the first sort of five ten minutes of of watching it, I'm afraid I was having another one of those um, Angry Bird Star Wars moments, or because it was that late on a Sunday night, it was more. Hmm, do I do I want to go to bed? I'm not really sure where where this game's going to go. It's not really gripping me yet. But I take it, did you kind of stay up to watch the whole thing, or have you just sort of seen the highlights? Yeah, I, I didn't stay up. I must admit, with the current schedule, I'm, I'm stuck on. More so, pity that I, I would have liked to, 
But yeah, it was one of the ones where once I'd seen the highlights and I'd I'd gone through the stats and all the all the, the special ones like what you got the the reviews and stuff. I'm glad I didn't stay up for it. You're you're quite right there. And it's it seemed one of those games that on, on paper would offer a lot more and deliver. But it seemingly, to be fair, the ones person we have to give most credit to here seems to be the uh, defense of um, of Indianapolis. Yeah, absolutely. So we in particular, I think Vontae Davis, their cornerback, had a, an outstanding game. Oh, he did, yeah. I mean, I know we haven't got our, like, impact players this week, but five pass deflects he had, along with his, his eight tackles. I mean, that's just five pass deflects. That's, that's, that's quality work. I mean, you think of Denver and this, like, the, the attacking prowess they have. I mean, Peyton Manning under centre, you know. Both of the Thomases, you've got Manuel Sanders, the little speedster, and Wes Welker, the threat to catch every everything thrown at him. And then, of course, they've got a good running back now in Anderson. I, I must admit, I thought this would be an absolute points gold mine. I mean, it's almost like when we saw Brady doing 50 throws. That's how I interpreted Andrew Luck. They just throw the entire game. And then Manning would throw a bomb back and it would be like seven points, seven points, seven points, seven points. That's what it should have been really, shouldn't it? But of course, uh, Peyton Manning just seemed to be really off his game because there was a lot of throws on third down where he's kind of gone for the throw that was on over the over the top of the cornerbacks. But he just kept throwing them long after his first touchdown. Yeah, some people say the week, the bye week is a um, either a blessing or a curse. And, and yeah, no, it seemed like Manning had just completely seized up a little bit on, on his week off because yeah it just the, the judgment was awful to be honest and it wasn't just Manning that seemed to be having an off game even Aqib Talib, the, the cornerback for the Broncos or their, their big star cornerback as it were even he didn't really seem to be at the, the races against T.Y. Hilton Hilton had a field day against him he could not defend the middle Hilton just every single time just cut his route into the middle of the field because he just did that thing where he just sat behind the linebackers and Tlaib just never followed him. He just gave him such a grace. He gave him a good sort of like eight, ten-yard cushion every single time. So he just sat there and went, right, I'll just go eight yards. I'll stick behind the, the linebackers and just pick up this first down, shall I? Constantly, just 15, 15 yards at a pop. You know, it felt like the Cowboys went out swinging. They fought to their last breath, gladiator style, in the arena, you know. Like sword in hand, one arm's being chopped off, their legs being severed badly, and they're sitting there, but they're still fighting all the way to the end. It just felt a little bit like the Broncos just sort of like fell backwards and just allowed themselves to be vanquished. Well, a little, yeah, with the exception, of course, of their their running back that you mentioned there, the young uh, CJ Anderson, who um, on back-to-back plays uh, had a massive impact. So. After a third down play, it looked like one of the linemen was about to get feisty and potentially incur some kind of personal foul. But you see Anderson, again, you'll see this in the highlight, just pushing him away and just oh, dragging him away from the, the line. Fight, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then <laughs> about half the size of him. <laughs> exactly. And then on the next play, on the fourth and one, he had that big run as well where he broke three tackles, which was just crazy. One was about five yards behind the line of scrimmage, just bounces him off and then somehow manages to get a first down out of absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, that should have been a loss of five. That, that was perfectly read by the defence, just penetration into the backfield. And it was just like, first guy, sheds. Second guy, jukes him off. Third guy, just bursts his speed and just like, the guy just tackles the air where he was. And then just bang. And then the fourth guy just grabs him by his ankles, but by then he's got the first down. 
Yeah, indeed. So we'll, we're going to finish the roundup of the, the playoff games there. And, and that one was uh, a 24-13 win to Indianapolis. So it sets up the ties for next weekend. So the conference championship games in the NFC between Green Bay and Seattle in Seattle. And for the AFC, it will be Indianapolis versus New England, almost like history repeating itself when Manning himself used to play for the Colts and have to go to Foxborough to try and get through to the Super Bowl. So (laughs) (laughs) we shall see what happens there. But I think my money is probably going to be on New England, Seattle for the Super Bowl. And with that said, are Seattle breaking the Madden cover curse this year? Do we think now that's going to be a thing of the past? Well, only time shall tell. Or maybe the cover curse is going to rise them up to the pinnacle only to have them fall the hardest and come second. Uh, what, in the actual Super Bowl itself, you mean? <laughs> yeah, just so close, but yet so far. <laughs> don't, don't know why I'm saying it like that. I'm sorry, everyone, if I'm creeping you out. Just a, just a little maybe, <laughs> just just a little creep creep. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I just, 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 just went off a tangent there, to be fair. <laughs> and on that note, we cue the break. You are listening to Spitball. We've reached that part in the show where I like to ask Marcus. What's been grinding your gears this week, buddy? You know what really grinds my gears? The amount the NFL coaching carousel has been going on now. Every single day now we seem to find ourselves another either victim of the accursed carousel, as they like to call it. Um, Someone else either losing their job, walking out, deciding to call it quits, whatever it being, coming around with the next person going to step up into a job. Now, I know the idea is that if if something's not working in your organisation, you know, know, they look to new coaching to try and like maybe create something a new something from happening i mean maybe um the ethos or maybe the experience or whatever it is they're trying to create but every single time you see it and i just don't see how how the league is supposed to develop itself when it seems a lot of the time we see the same sort of names creeping up and it's just that the regurgitation for me, I feel that sometimes we just got to get a little bit of maybe fresh blood in there. And that's why I like it when if you are going to see sometimes when you see some of maybe the college football guys get risen up or, or some of maybe like the uh, the defensive coordinators be elevated, promoted, almost like when you have a job. You know, if you've got a, if you're in the workplace, you know, and that your boss quits or gets fired, you know, rather than them bringing in some guy, this hot shot from some other branch or something like that, looking internally into the organization to reward those whose hard work has gone into it and putting them up onto the thing, much in the same way that players in their depth chart, you know, will show their coaches that they deserve to be the first string. So for me, I'm really sick of the fact that each year the carousel, and it is kind of carousel because it goes round and round and round, and it's the same sort of either six, seven, eight, coaches or teams that always seem to put themselves in this whole sort of this spotlight this negative spotlight as well where the media will just love to latch onto it when i feel that maybe it's time you know that we we start rewarding those who show maybe a little promise and give them a chance to to refresh the nfl with some fresh ideas some fresh blood and that this what's grinding my gears. Oh, y'all want the play? Okay, here we go. We've got gun, Hulk left slot. Dixie left, key left. Mercedes, wide chip, Ricky. Zebra left, 75, Katie. Omaha, quick go. 
Well, as you can tell, Marcus's gear grind we've just heard there leads us perfectly into the last part of our show, and that is a roundup from around the league. Sorry, Marcus, with the coaching vacancies and those that have been filled etc now obviously with all the news that's come out today i think we know i'm gonna pretty much start with the bills right (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's one of the the bigger talking points i think out of all of the coaching at changes that's it so for those who don't know the buffalo bills coach doug marone actually took the option to terminate his contract um, three days after the the season finished because he had a clause put in there that if the Bills got new owners, he would have the chance to walk away and take £4 with him, which he decided to do. On the back of that, we've interviewed several people Personally, I really wanted Jim Swartz to be promoted and it ties in with what Marcus was saying there about keeping it within the organisation. We had a head coach within our organisation on our books, so why not promote him uh, from defensive coordinator head coach? But alas, they, they didn't. They have actually hired Rex Ryan, the former New York Jets coach that was announced today and for me as well it came out of the blue because I don't even remember hearing his name mentioned with the job and then all of a sudden he had two interviews and now he's our new coach. There was a lot of talk that he would be going down south to Atlanta. Yeah absolutely because Atlanta would be another one of those teams that you would think would be the the perfect fit for him to try and establish a power run, get that defense turned around and then move forward from that, from a good defense and a good running game. Then I think this is the reason why we've probably hired him more than most is pre Geno Smith era. Rex Ryan actually had a pretty good record against the Patriots, if unless I'm mistaken. So I think that's a, a big reason for bringing him in for that experience. The knowledge obviously of the Jets knowledge of how to beat the New England Patriots and the fact that he is actually a really good coach just got a bit unlucky with with some of his personnel and lack of ability of the quarterback until he knew his coach was being fired, which is uh, rubbing salt into the wounds. But on the back of that, before I uh, talk about it for too much, that doesn't even make any sense for too much. That That's not even a proper <laughs> sentence. You know what I mean. Too late. Anyway, too late. It's out there. So we've also hired Greg Raymond as our offensive coordinator. Now, he was the 49ers offensive coordinator, but he's been brought in to run that Buffalo offense again, purely probably based on scheme because Rex Ryan will want to develop a power run scheme and off the back of that, control the game and have more of a balanced offense i guess and the big piece of disappointing news which also came in this evening is that on the back of rex ryan coming in they have terminated jim swartz's contract so not only is he not going to be the head coach but they've terminated him and will get a new defensive coordinator in and that i find the most mind-boggling because Look at how great the Bills' defense was last year. We led the league in sacks, or this year rather, we led the league in sacks. Uh, we were in the top 10 defenses, and I don't get why we would get rid of him. Yeah, why would you? Because I think the reason why they went for Rex Ryan was because he's a defensive-minded coach. You look at the the Jets' defenses of old, like the the last couple of years um, when they used to go to, say, the championship games. I think it was like two years in a row they went to the championship game. And the defense was what they kind of, worked heavily into that 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 ethos where it was that smash mouth where the defense would would stop you and the run game would then just slowly grind out the opponent's defense into submission 
And so why would you not have Jim Shorts try and work something with Rex Ryan where they got this very aggressive defense together, which was built around big hits, pressuring the quarterback, and then making sure that, you know, there was no time for teams to sort of like build up leads on you. And there, there are the pieces in, in place there for the Bills, so it would have been perfect. But clearly, I don't know if it is down to that methodology where it's almost the sort of like the salt and pepper. They don't quite see eye to eye and the, they didn't think there was obviously a compatibility there where they would fit into this is my system and your system. Let's meld it together. And it was more my system, your system, Arr, that tension. That's it. Well, the official reason that's been given in a statement is that Rex Ryan's released him from his contract because he wanted to give him the opportunity to explore other opportunities, which could very well be any of the other coaching vacancies still out there, which uh, were Oakland, San Francisco 49ers, Chicago Bears, Atlanta Falcons, New York Jets, which would be even more ironic. And um, as of uh, this morning... Denver Broncos, because the big news, of course, being that John Fox has has left the Broncos after their loss to the Colts. That's the thing as well. I um, kind of picked up in my gear grind how quickly you get on the carousel. I mean, you pretty much lost Sunday night and you're literally on the bags packed. It's been fun. See you later, alligator. And it's Tuesday. It's um, It really is that sort of... That's swift and brutal, but um, uh, such is business, I suppose. Although everyone's already got him lined up, apparently, for... The Bears! Bears! Is what I've heard. Yeah, but an interesting one, to be fair. And he's been at the Broncos, hasn't he, for four years. Um, And I understand, I think he was the one that actually walked away from the Broncos, wasn't he? Rather than it being the Broncos getting rid of him. So... Again, kind of an even an even stranger one, really. But of those out there and being mentioned, I mean, where do you think some of the coaches will go? I mean, do you believe the rumours? Do you think Doug Marone will end up in, in New York at the Jets? Let's talk about the, the Arizona defensive coordinator going to the Jets. They, they were a defence first team, and I think that's kind of where they'll want to go. They'll want to rebuild that smash-mouth football with the option quarterback behind centre. True, but they also need to try and get some talent at wide receiver in the Jets, haven't they? Because at the moment, Smith's not really got anyone to, to throw to outside of Eric Decker. Again, part of that mentality, going back to a couple of the, the starting years with Sanchez, he didn't really, apart from Jericho Cotchery, that one target, he, again, he didn't really have anyone to throw to. So whether the Jets want to try and change hang their on. complete no, no, ethos... No, no, hang on, buddy. Didn't he have at one stage Plexico Burris and then also um, Santonio Holmes? Again, though, Santonio Holmes and Plexico Burris, it, it, at the points that they were at the Jets, it felt very much... They weren't weren't at their peak. You know, they'd been traded into the Jets or, or, or acquired into the Jets after more successful stints at other teams and when they were waning success I think if they want to try and create a good option system they've got some great running backs that's fine I'd look for them to really try and shore up the offensive line first and stop Smith from constantly having to pick himself up from the turf well yeah that's a big thing isn't it because if your quarterbacks get in no time then you really need to address that situation and and we know that a good team starts with a, a good offensive line it's certainly how uh, I've started my Madden fantasy draft I picked five great offensive linemen to build my team around but stupidly because I then went from offensive line to defensive line and 
building a defensive spot and, you know, forgot to to pick a decent quarterback and ended up in my first season thinking I'd give AJ McCarron a chance, but uh, that didn't really work yeah. out so well. Uh, but, you know, that's obviously all by the buyers. That's man, you know me, I like to digress. So some of those other coaching positions, I mean, there's some great jobs there and some, some great franchises that you think that with the right coach, you would look to see them being really successful next year. And especially as the likes of the Falcons are going to have a really high draft pick this year. What people will want is they'll try, want to try and find the next Odell Beckham, the sort of rookie who is completely and utterly NFL ready. Yeah. And Odell Beckham has just been a phenomenal revelation for this year. I mean, it, those who pay attention to college football would have known how great he was at LSU anyway, and not really been too surprised at how well he's done for the Giants this year. But See, for me, I know we're going to come on to it in our end of end of year show when we do go through our awards. But for me, I'm thinking Beckham Jr. for Rookie of the Year without a shadow of a doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree. Yeah. So apologies. Sorry. Just got some something just popped up at me there on my screen. Jason Garrett has um, completed a five year contract extension for thirty million dollars. Oh, wow. So the Cowboys are going to keep him then. So that Jerry Jones is, is happy with what he's put together this year. So the, now the next big question is, will they keep DeMarco Murray and, and how much will they offer him to keep him on? Because he is obviously out of contract at the end of the season or well now, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it would be interesting to see how they do that because actually I'm looking at this, I'm reading this even further. Not only is Garrett staying, but also Rob Marinelli is, uh, has apparently reached the contract extension as well. So they're going to keep that. Let's face it. That's a very improving Cowboys defense looks to, looks to have their, their, their head man as defensive coordinator stay as well. So if you're a Cowboys fan, kudos. Um, that is on the back of a great season. It looks like you're going to have possibly another one next year as well. Well, yes. And now they've got the coaches sorted. Now they need to move on to the players, don't they? So that's going to be a, a big thing. But I think we shall leave that there for this week. Uh, obviously, we only have a couple more shows left and then we will bring you our end of season uh, review as we did last year, where we'll be getting the whole crew together. That's myself, Marcus, the boss, Mark Taylor, Harry Staszewski, uh, hopefully young Mike Sunshine. Austin as well. So that's what's coming up for you in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Look out for it. It's going to be awesome. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. As I say, that wraps it up for us for another week. Don't forget, we are downloadable on iTunes. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, remember... Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Our most recent shows are also rebroadcast on the 1800 online network, a link to which is on the side of the page. 
Marcus, my good friend, it's been an absolute pleasure, sir. As always, good fun, even if we do digress horribly. We digress an awful lot, but maybe that's what people like. Who knows, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) What, what? Indeed, indeed. So, (laughs) until next time, football fans, stay safe, take care, and thanks for stopping by. (laughs) 